Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. I'm joined by Jared. Mate, how are you doing? Yeah, no, not too bad, Sean. A little bit... Uh, <laughs> I sneak up on you there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was just thinking it's, it's, it's a little bit somber uh, with uh, Makazole being out. So, uh, yeah, it, we're oh, recording man. it like sort of right after the news of that. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's nice to get a nice win in, stay in the Rugby World Cup. But uh, to lose someone like Mapimpi, it's just, it hits home a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of rugby on this weekend. I think a lot, everyone's focusing on next weekend because the Springboks beating Tonga and now it's kind of up in air as to whoever does what in the Scotland-Ireland game. I think, Jared, you started off on, on my pimps and um, we'll, we'll, we'll get going there. I think it is a mess. I personally feel it is a massive loss for the Springboks. Mm. I feel that he is the best 11 we have. And the only person that comes close to that is Cheson Colby. So, mm. and it's not, I mean, they're not massive differences. The thing about my Pimpy that really, that I love and I think is amazing is every single one of our back three, all of them are, are steppers. They're, they're steppers and they want to manipulate you in that way. My Pimpy has that, but my Pimpy also has that I'm going to go over you vibe. And mm. I, I, I see value in that. We've often, often had that, the Springboks and a lot of people have often had that type of play on the right wing. But yeah. we have to have that. I've, for me personally, the balance of everything, I would start him at 11 for every single big game for the Springboks. I know, you know there's discussion of Kirtley Aronso or Cheson Colby. Um, but yeah, my Pimpy, I really feel will, will be hurt by, by his loss. We obviously have um, Delendi and Creel that, that are kind of go straight in your face kind of players. So it, it, it opens things up, but massive loss. And I do want to get into that referee decision. We'll get into that in a little bit, but just, yeah, Jared, do you, I mean, I'm kind of making it sound like it's doom and gloom. Do you feel that he's as big a loss? I mean, we're pretty much covered, but what do you, what does he bring that, that others are, are, are not going to? Yeah, I, I think you got it with uh, Lucky's abrasiveness in um, in contact uh, when he's got the ball. Um, I do think we can negate that a bit with Kane and Moody if we put him on the wing. Um, but I, I do think our backline's pretty well balanced, whether we have Pollard or Libok at, at 10. If we've got Dialinda and Creole running in the centres, I think we can afford to be a bit a bit looser with uh, our wingers have the more stepping and less abrasive abrasive style so I, I i think he's a massive blow um you're you're just taking away a world-class option um and that's sort of where you have to start looking at it and then uh you sort of they they talk about the book coaches talk a lot about how the value players add in training and um there's a lot of chatter about having the right people in the squad and makazol is one of those right people in the squad for for the book so I think it's a, it's a big morale blow for for the box, and knowing knowing how South Africans are, they'll use it as a motivation going into the rest of the into the rest of the competition. Whether they needed that extra bit or not, it's it's still there. So, yeah, I I think it is a massive blow, but uh, it, we certainly have the quality to to replace him with, and uh, we all be, it, it's it's not a do or die subs, uh, uh, injury like not losing Carter mm-hmm. kind of thing. So we do need to keep some sort of um, like 
relevance to it and some oversight to it. And yeah, it's it's a crushing one, but it's it's not a World Cup ending injury that kills the box hopes kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. there, There's so much value. Like we we are really in a great position that we have. um, So the All Blacks used to, they probably still use it, but they used to have it back in the day and they often refer to it as soldier in, soldier out. Like if ever there was a substitution or a a change made, it was was a like-for-like replacement. So um, we've uh, we've cruised into that situation nicely with with our entire squad. you know, we, we've managed to balance the pros and cons of each player in a position. So if someone's a, um, a wider player in, 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 in a position, we manage things accordingly. If they're a tighter player, we also manage things accordingly. But agreed, um, my pimpy is going to be a great loss to the squad and to the match day 23, um, even though he's been in and out. And I don't think it's a form thing. A lot of guys were chatting about his form. I don't personally feel that he, was, he dropped off that badly. Looking forward yeah, now, Jared. Um, I, yes. Yeah. Sorry. I, I I don't think it was a fact of him dropping off form. I think the other guys just sort of uh, were in better form. So I think that it it was just all you've got a whole lot of form selection, and then you're just making decisions on what better suits the what better suits the team. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty much on mm. spot on with you there. Mm. Moving forward, um, the number eleven jumper. So. In recent games, Ches and Colby's been that man. I, mm. I don't think anyone defends better than Makazulo Mapimpi on the left wing. However, Ches and Colby's probably on par. So um, he's, he's defended the best out of all the wingers we've put there, well, which is only Kirtley Arons, the other option. I don't think um, Moody will, will start or play on the 11. I think he'll play on the 14 if he plays at all. But yeah, who do you start on 11? Because... Moving Colby, like in my perfect world, my Pimpy starts 11, Colby starts 14, and then we must decide who plays 15. Kirtley Lawrence is knocking down the door. He deserves a shot. Just the same. I mean, how do you fit two players? Uh, how do you fit three players into two positions? Because my Pimpy, Colby, and Kirtley Lawrence, either one of them starts anywhere. You're like, it's cool. We're not losing or gaining anything. It's it's same, same, but mm. different. Um, within reason, obviously, there's there's small things. Where, where to now for the Springboks? So let's say there's a very, very small chance that we miss out on the quarterfinals. It's pretty much guaranteed that we're not guaranteed. <clears throat> it's pretty certain that, that we are mm. like, we've got a massive, massive foot in, in the quarterfinals. We are playing France, um, maybe. I don't know. That's still up in there as well. But whoever <laughs> we play, we live in. Yeah, I, I I think it's Colby. Um, I understand your reservations about it, but uh, the way I see it is we're probably going to play France. Um, it's going to be Damien Penno that's going to be going up against uh, our number 11. So for me, uh, Colby's played against Penno quite a bit, whether it's with the box or whether it was with Toulon or Toulouse. Um, he's a very... Yeah, I, I can't put it any other way, but like batshit crazy. That's, that's the kind of winger he is. He's... Um, Johan Huger's uh, the, the the new heir to Johan uh, Huger, but he's just he, he's he's just a little bit less like he's he's not going to get a red card kind of thing. But uh, he's a phenomenal player. So for me, it's it's Colby. I think uh, he's got the street smarts to to be able to keep him a little bit more at bay than somebody like uh, 
somebody like uh, Kanan, and uh, he's got that big match experience. So to me, it's that it's uh, it's Colby, and uh, we we've like we said, uh, my pimp is out of the tournament. If uh, we go for Lucanio Am, which I think is probably the way it's going, um, we 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 do also have that option of moving Jesse Creel to the wing to mark somebody like um, so mark somebody like Pena. So could have Am in this at thirteen. Um, Creole at, at 11 so it adds another permutation to it but I, I, I think it's I think Colby's the Colby's the man and uh, Kurt Lee then takes the 14 jersey for me that's a that's a hard no from me um, I would <laughs> put Creel on the left wing not to start um, for me if we're starting Creel or I'm starting 13 I would go with Creel for, to, to begin with and then we can manage things afterwards mm. the same as Lebok Pollard like that that's yeah. those two players fit into the ten jumper or twenty two. That's it. So there's no moving anyone to twelve yeah. or fifteen. Not in my world. Um, and then and then we're playing the right a path three as well. <laughs> I think I think I actually think we'll we can, we'll we'll squeeze it into a six two. But but yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll we'll find out mm. in a couple of weeks on the right wing. So let's let's say um, we don't go absolute dumb in Peno and move Jesse Krill to the wing and Chisholm Colby starts there. Who are you starting on the right? Yeah, like I said, I'm going straight for Oren, sir. Um, I think Moody has had a great okay. World Cup and uh, yeah, I, I think it just might be a, a tournament too soon for him to be an out-and-out starter in the big games. Um, but in the same breath, if he were to... Uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't be disappointed or I wouldn't be worried. Um, he's blown everyone's expectations right out of the window. So, yeah, if if, if he does, it mm. doesn't bother me. But I, 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 think, uh, I think we need to move on to some forward chat after this. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Moody's head and shoulders better better on, on at 14 than he is at 13. Um, so... I've no problems with him starting, but again, we've, we're trying to fit multiple players into two positions, but it's going to be interesting, interesting balance. After that, a bit of chaos to start things up. We're going to, we'll lead in. So we're obviously chatting about the Springboks and, and the Bucks play their final pool game against Tonga this weekend. We've got a bonus point win, um, 49-18. Um, yeah, quite a lot of talking points that are coming out of this game. I think I think we, I'm going to jump into it straight away. There was a lot of discussion around um, Pierce not giving a yellow card for that Mapimpi challenge. Um, and mm. I, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. And, and I, honestly, I, I, I really believe in what Pierce was doing was the right call. Because mm. how often, I, and every single person that's listening to this Somewhere during the World Cup or leading up to the World Cup would have gone, that's not a yellow card. If a TMO has come in and tried to and try to and intervened, it has almost been guaranteed a card. When when a TMO is like check, check, and then you're like, cool, let me go back yeah. and check for head contact, it has been guaranteed a card. And we needed someone to change that. And Luke Pierce had the plums to do it. Because that's what we need to do. We need to be able for a referee to say, I don't feel that that is a yellow card. I feel that is a penalty only. And I was uh, watching on and off. I wasn't like studying it when it happened. And I wasn't, I wasn't outraged by that decision. Then mm. when we saw my pimpy going off and everything going on, you're like, well, the impact was pretty serious. So the, 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 the force of the contact was obviously a lot harder than expected. 
but to be yeah. fair, like a cheek in a socket, like you can, it doesn't have to be hard to, to crack and break, you know? So I, I don't disagree with what Pierce has done. I think he's setting a decent precedent. Like, unfortunately he got it wrong. Like that, yeah. that's, that's the, the, the downside of it. Had Mapimpi not been seriously injured, we would have been applauding this decision. It was yeah. a perfect example of great idea and shit execution. And it just, it's so, it works out in such a way. And later on, when he was talking about, um, when he was talking about Irvin, and when he thought, I'm going to give that a yellow card, and then the TMO stepped in. So everyone's having a go at him for saying he wants to give Irvin a yellow card for that. Uh, I, I'm so happy that we got to that decision from the team. But also bear in mind that what happened to Mapimpi totally affected his decision-making into making that just a penalty as well. And that's why I feel he went thinking it's a yellow. He's like, listen, I made a commitment and I kind of pooed it the first time around. I've got to make sure I stick to within the guidelines. And then, and then everyone got involved and I think the right decision was made there. So it's, it's hard. Like, mm. I mean, I don't know what no. you think about it, Jared, but I think, I think it was a good call. So, so I, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good call on first view. Um, I thought, yeah, he, he, he's got that one right. Um, when, when I first saw the replay, it looked more like a glancing, um, head contact. 100%. But then obviously, uh, but then obviously when my pimpy is going off, you, you, it sort of changes the dynamic. And I think I've spoken about it a lot of times is that why is it that we get in these slow, um, slow-mo action replays when they having a look at these decisions they they're supposed to only have two looks at um only supposed to get two angles and two replays of the incident to speed up and send it to the bunker and and that kind of thing so he he got two uh slow motion um replays of the incidents and when you look at it in slow-mo it does look like a glancing um head contact but then when the player's going off with a broken uh, what the broken eye socket or or whatever it is a fractured eye socket then obviously the contact was a lot more than it uh, than it seemed to be so yeah i i think it's one of those where a full um live replay would have uh, probably done it more justice and it probably would have led to a yellow card and then sent off to to the bunker um i don't know if it would have been a red card to be honest but uh yeah, we'll we'll find out in the next few days or hours or whatever mm, whether mm. Pulu has now been cited for this because uh, that's the only thing that's left with it is if the citing commissioner feels that this does enter the red card threshold, then he faces a disciplinary, and uh, yeah, then it could turn into quite a a, a ban similar to Johan Dasel's because of Mapimpi's uh, subsequent injury. So, so yeah, mm. um. I, I don't think it had too much bearing on the game. It's it's sad that uh, my Pimpy's World Cup is over because of it. But uh, yeah, un unfortunately, these kind of collisions happen in rugby, and uh, yeah, it, we we they are trying to trying to cut them out and get rid mm -hmm. of them. But uh, they will happen. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> okay, so quite a few changes in the Springbok team to play Tonga, which is expected. We've been chopping and changing quite a bit. Ireland have been sticking to their guns. Let's go front row. Mm. Oxenshare, Dion Fury, Vincent Cox. So Vincent Cox got his first start in forever um, after a bit of a false start mm. the, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Dion Fury starting at hooker. Your thoughts on the front row? 
Yeah, I think uh, it was a pretty solid game from both Koch and uh, Inche. Um, I think they were both quite lively around the pitch. We get like a little bit of a different um, like dimension with the two of them starting compared to Steven Kitsoff and Mahoba. Mahoba's not a not a big ball carrier. Like he does carry it to the line quite well, but not quite in the same way that Koch does with these running lines and that kind of thing. And I think that that was quite good in uh, like sort of Get, uh, like softening the Tonians up, if I can put it like that, and uh, both of them got stuck in defensively. So, so yeah, I thought that was pretty good. The scrums were were quite sharp, and then Mister Dion Ferry had a fucking blinder. I don't think there's. I think the only person that really pushed him for man of the match was Quaka Smith off of the bench. Um, it, it it I was really impressed with Ferry. Um, you said in the WhatsApp group that you got a bit concerned of the scrummaging. I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, th- I thought it was quite sharp. Um, and it, it it sort of eases my concerns around the hooker even more. Like I, I backed him to to do well, and I think he did this game. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared not to have a big, bulky, scrummaging hooker. So, yeah. Um, but for he yeah. did have a great game. There were a couple of spaces where he, he got, I mean, Flippy got swatted off. But then, to be fair, most people got swatted off against Tonga. Man of the match performance, um, great shot. Uh, if anything has come out of this game, it's pretty evident that Dion Fury is the better hooker than um, than Escom. Okay. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. So, so I think that's pretty much settled. Um, I don't see um, Makazulo Mapimpi's replacement being another hooker. <laughs> so. Mm-mm. So yeah, so we are where we are. So I need to just just get I need to get in the groove. <laughs> and as I've always said, I've always uh, the the Springbok coaches um, have proven proven me and many other people wrong uh, more often than not with decisions they've made. So who am I to argue? Onto the locks, um, it's Beth and Ori. Um, I see Ori got a bit of heat this weekend again. No surprises, especially sure when, he, when he missed that first. Um, yeah, so he missed that first uh, re- that first kickoff start, and then everyone mm. just climbed into him. Um, joint top tackler for the Springboks, <laughs> um, you know, one line out steal, uh, which I don't feel was his fault. I thought that was flipping brilliant um, uh, defensive jump by Coleman. And other than that, the only other complaint was that he was calling a lot of lineouts on himself, and therefore the more wasn't getting set up properly. So, Jared. Please help us in, enlighten everybody and and basically <laughs> tell them that they were wrong or am I wrong? Well, I, I thought Ori had a pretty solid game. Like you say, uh, that one line-out steal, I think it was it was off of Faree's throw. Um, it, it wasn't his Drop fault. Drop him, like it, What? <laughs> we, can't have, we can't have hookers not hitting their jumpers, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, like... Adam Coleman, like we we sort of forget because he hasn't played uh, the weapon for a long time. But he, he he's a yeah. hell of a player. Like he he's either going to go off. One or thing he is, he's a good defensive. Or... <laughs> One thing I remember yeah. about him, he's a flipping good lineup jumper. That's what I do yeah, remember. And and red cards, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like he, he he is he is the Tongan Australian Ibn Etzebeth kind of thing. Like it, it, it sounds wild to say, but he he really is that type of player. He's abrasive. He's abrasive on both sides of the ball. He's a very busy player, and he jumps exceptionally well in the lineout. The only reason he's uh, been benching for Tottenham is he's just come back from injury. So he'll probably start the next game with uh, 
from with Lassi from the start. So then, yeah, you've got um, Lever Fafita on the bench to come off, which is oh, hellish. But uh, yeah, overall, I thought Ori actually had a, a pretty sound game. Like, you know what you're going to get from Ori. Like, and uh, a lot of fans don't really see it, but he's going to come in, he's going to make his tackles, he's going to make his carries. He's not going to set the world a lot, but he's going to be solid as hell. I don't think he, he conceded and any a lot of breakdown or work. anything like that. A lot of breakdown he work. He does a lot and, of breakdown work that people don't really Yeah, Yeah, and, and, and we, we don't get it to quite the extent of uh, R.G. Snayman's uh, offloads and that kind of thing, but his handling is fantastic. Like he, he doesn't make errors in that way. Like if he does make a knock-on or something, the pass is generally uh, an iffy pass and it was a tough one to take kind of thing so i i i think he was like a good uh, six seven out of ten kind of thing he's and that's mm. where that lives kind of thing he lives on that consistency and yeah he he would be calling a lot of line outs on himself because there's that sort of uh stormless connection with him and dion um dion's been practicing line outs the whole time with uh the stormers and he's been throwing to ori the whole time so so yeah, I, I think that was a decent move to go with, and uh, yeah, if you're going to be, if you, we we also down another lineout jumper, um, weren't we? Yeah, well, Peter Steff kind of thing. You're yeah, not going to jump Dwayne that often. We had, if we we're had Eben be... Ori and Dwayne, which, yeah, which so means we... we only had Eben and Ori for for a major part of it. You know. Yeah, you want Dwayne setting them all. You don't want uh, him grabbing it. Exactly. So, so yeah, but I, I think it was pretty fun. Um, yeah, pretty so solid. You've been putting another one to Carl to Carl and the guys on on one of one of my chat groups. He kept saying, "Why is Fumula not jumping?" And I'm like, "Listen, if we're gonna maul it, mm. Dwayne mustn't be catching the ball. <laughs> He's got to mm-hmm. be setting. So at least I got a little no, bit you- of forward talk right, you know." Yeah, if if you're going to be doing that, like we can have uh, Dwayne jumping and setting a mall if we've got um, France uh, on the one side, um, maybe Visa on the other side. But uh, you you generally want uh, a, maybe an Eben or you want your taller guy at the back. You want him to set the platform with a, a guy like France Mohoba. So we didn't quite really have the the mix right there for Dwayne to be jumping in there. So yeah, it, I think that's where it stems from. If you want to set a more, you want uh, Dwayne Vermeulen being that 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 back lifter and setting the more there. So, yeah, I think that was their their thinking. Um, so yeah, well done there, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, a blind squirrel always finds a nut, eh? So it's okay. I yeah, need a couple yeah. more before I can I can say I know much about forwards. Finishing up with the forwards, our back three. Um, so we had Sikulisi, Dwayne Vermeulen on the side, and Jasper Vis at eight. Dwayne has been interesting, um, but having said that, Kulisi was also relatively quiet. He was not making those dominant tackles that we used to him making, but he was hellish busy. Um, the Tongans yeah. kept us on our toes. Um, the, mm, the, loose, mm. the loose trio, I, I think the only thing that changes there is Peter Steff, the toy, comes in, but I probably feel that Dwayne's going to very likely be coming off the bench um, for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I, I think that's possible. But uh, yeah, we, we often go through these stages with Dwayne where he'll have a couple of quiet games and then people start calling for his head and then all of a sudden he just pulls out a blinder and 
yeah, if he does that against France or whoever the semi-final is, if we get thank that, thank you very far, much. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. So, yeah, but we we really are in the tail end of his career now, and uh, yeah, I I think he will have at least another two good games left in him. So, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not too concerned. I thought Jasper had a very good game. It's the kind of game that he like thrives on. He loves the big uh, physical stuff, and he really stepped up for me. And I did enjoy once he got his head taped up that he just looked like uh, John Smith running around the pitch. <laughs> yeah. It was the same yeah. with uh, the with Malcolm against the All Blacks. Like he just looked like yes, John Smith. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> any any white South African forward okay. with uh, with dark hair just looks like John Smith to me. <laughs> that done. Exactly. Onto the backs. We're not going to talk too much about Rana, um, which I know you want to. Um, he had a pretty decent game. He's really yeah. been performing well, got some good kicks. He wasn't his 100% his, his uh, Reinach self, but I thought he was, was pretty decent. The big thing that everyone's been talking about, and I think it's amazing for Springbok Rugby and for Manila Bok, but Andre Pollard came on, put in, what, 60, 50 minutes? And mm. um, yeah, he, he got through it. Um, no glaring errors. Um, not not shit in any way, not outstanding in another way. Just you know, getting through his first fifty minutes in like the last nineteen weeks, um, quite impressive. And I mean, it's quite clear that our game plan changes when he's on the park. Jared, we've got a we've got a nice little one-two punch going on with our with our two form tens at the moment. Yeah, and it's a great position to be in, like you said. Like, it, and and what I found is that, um, yeah, we followed got a little bit of stick because uh, the backline was a lot more flat and it was less flash and that kind of thing. But it's sort of like we reverted to the twenty twenty one box of uh, like we we going to uh, kick and uh, like get the more kick pressure game going, and that suits Pollard at ten and. We we've we've said we've got both games in the bank and we got to see a bit of both on on Sunday for for both the from both the tens. So I'm quite happy with that. Like you say, no major errors from from Pollard. He made his tackles. He passed more than he carried, which uh, it's always a big bugbear for you. So he he got that right this time at least, and he made it's his never line been kicks. An issue like, for him really. Yeah. Yeah, he he made his line kicks as well, which I thought, which was which, a big thing for me. So, and, <laughs> and, 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 and most of like, them, we're watching. You better make it, brew uh, in nice next. <laughs> and most of them were they were pretty decent. There was one or two that he could have got a little bit closer, but I would rather you set a line out seven meters out instead of uh, g- giving away a scrum kind of thing. So, so yeah, he he got all of them into the twenty-two and quite deep into the twenty-two, which which I was pretty pleased with. Yes, very handy, quite impressive. We we are in a good space. Um, yeah. I mentioned last week that I really thought that Pollard coming in will really help Manny. Like, there's a lot of people that have this idea that the two of them are like <laughs> are like oil and water. <laughs> they hate each other. It's mm. not the case. They're they're teammates. You know, like yeah. everyone everyone yeah. believes in everyone else. So it's a great one, and it showed with Libok coming on. He made some couple of great kicks, changed the game up a little bit. I think Pollard. Interestingly enough, with Pollard and the style that he plays, he, for me, must have Damien Delendi at 12, um, I, I feel. Um, but also, if Cannon Moody's going to play, he's got to play on the wing. Like with those kicks mm. and everything, you don't want Grant on the wing, you want Cannon Moody on the wing. So 
Mm. Very interesting. Like a lot of stuff wasn't balanced out. I picked up something quite interesting. I'm trying to like explain to um, a couple of my mates about like the difference between Delendi and Esterhazen. And I think I've, I've come up with a decent theory. Esterhazen is a great crash ball special, a great crash ball 12 if he's got distance to run where Damien Delendi is great for that close contact stuff. And I thought Estazen was good. I, I, I don't mm. have any issue. He's a very different player, and that's what people don't understand. They're expecting Sam Sam, but different. And it's not, not the case. Um, quite a different player. Probably played a little bit more outside of his comfort zone um, mm. on Saturday. I it was an understated uh, on Sunday, performance sure. from him. Yes, it, 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 very good. It, it, and, that's, and that's the thing. And the irony is he was getting so much shit for not holding on to the ball when that's the whole reason why Damien Delendi gets shit. Like, I'm like, yeah. guys, but yeah. he played a much tighter 12 role to what he's used to, especially at Quinn's. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I, 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 I ended up giving him a 6 out of 10, which I, th- I still think is quite fair. Um, like, it, it wasn't a standout game. I do think that he was a, a bit outplayed by Peter Aki, which can happen to anyone. Um, and yeah, it, 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 I, I, I don't think it was a bad performance, but I don't think it was a, a standout, like a, a stellar one either. It was, it was a lot of, it was actually a lot of what, uh, the players got through. It was, they got the job done, get out kind of thing. And yes, it was yes. him. Uh, it had that feel about the it. Same. Eh? It did. And, um, yeah, I, 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 that's, that's sort of how I see it. Uh, the same sort of thing with, uh, Moody, um, Went there, got the job done, get out, and yeah, got his first uh, World Cup try. So, so yeah, uh, even even the same with Grant at full uh, at 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 wing. Like he didn't disappoint at wing for me. It was just another one. Yeah, I I've, I know my roles. I got my did my roles well. Mm. And yeah, Grant's biggest error was uh, that no look um, offload, which we want to see that kind of thing and. Had, I think it was, uh, I, I can't remember what I, I think it was Jesse Creel that didn't quite read it perfectly. And that ball goes to hand, it, it's points. That ball goes to hand, it's points, but it <laughs> didn't go to hand, so it's points the other way. So it's one of those risky ones that if we weren't, what, 20, 30 points ahead, he would have never thrown that pass. Yeah, 100%. I thought Moody um, struggled a little bit um, at 13 again, but it's not, I'm, I'm not picking on the guy it's just more a case of like he needs more time in the saddle mm, he's a good mm. tackler but he's a bad defender at 13 um that is that's one thing that's quite clear you know um i love i love the tackles he makes if he starts if he starts defending better at 13 and starts putting those tackles in then it's it's crazy it's like it's it's basically jesse krill coming up and smoking you it's the same thing we have more more of an attack on him so mm. yeah i you know, it was, and like, let's be honest, you're playing up against Peter Aki and Malachi Fekitoa. They are not shit. They are mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Fekitoa is an, an all black. Um, he's been ripping it up for whether he's playing in, in France or, or, or the UK. Um, Peter Aki has been dominating. He played in New Zealand on the 20s and I think he played sevens for New Zealand. But I mean, cooking for Toulouse. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Assassin and Moody again up against the big boys and they weren't shown up like there was mm. frailties exposed but they weren't shown up like it wasn't a case of cool that's that's done back three oh my pimpy um i tell you this morning when i read on 
you actually posted and I saw you posted about my pimpy. I'm just, I'm gutted, man. I really am gutted. <laughs> um, yeah, sheesh. It's going to be hard to, yeah. to replace him. And uh, anyway, Grant, we ch- touched on Grant. I think the only next person to chat on, Vili LaRue. Um, he was iffy, but probably more good than bad. I don't know. What do, yeah. what do you think? Um, I, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a 50, 50 performance from Philly. Like, uh, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Like, uh, <laughs> that's that catch in the in goal that it didn't end up being a Tongan try, but it could have well been a Tongan try. Um, yeah, we, I, I, I don't think it was vintage at all from, from Billy. Like it was just, and I'm I'm such a big fan of him, but like it, it it was just like a bit of a frustrating game because all the uh, like points that people make of him, he made some of those errors, and like you can't defend it. Like it was just he seemed to switch off at times. You but, can't uh, defend it. Yeah, yeah, and the the <laughs> the lapses in defense, and yeah, it 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 was just it was just an average game from Villy, and. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how else to put it. I'm glad he got another try. That was that was quite cool. Um, he did a uh, what he Shannon Frizzold over the, the Tongan before scoring, so you don't often get to see that from him. So there's your big ball carrier, Sean. <laughs> but that take, that hand. So that whole thing started from Manny Lubok absolutely smoking Peter Aki. I smoked him, yeah. knocked the ball on. Esther hasn't pulled the Lacanya arm with his back back to the try line and, and fed that off. Creel to Moody. Moody has to squeeze off a quick pass to Vili. Vili's taking it like behind his back, one-handed at full mm. full gas. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's gonna Georgia it. Um, no, it was a Georgia. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's gonna Portugal it. You know, Portugal yeah, yeah. against Australia. I'm thinking he's gonna absolutely poo it. And then he's like, cool. I'm gonna show you something new. And he's in Bosch. So <laughs> bloody good try. Well taken. And that's 100% Vili though. That that's 100%, yeah, that's 100% Vili that try. Um. <laughs> Yeah, very interesting. Listen, can we, um, surely we need now, my theory on Pollard and Vili, it, like, come guys. It's real. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Vili plays better with Manny. Simple. Yeah. Like, yeah. not no, that does. Pollard had a bad game. Pollard had a decent game, but Vili was, was so-so. So can we, it's, can, it's, it's can one Pollard, of those, co- Vili's, yeah. It's it's one of those conversations for me, like uh, that England are struggling with at the moment. Whether you play George Ford or if you play Farrell, or if you play them together, and what happens with Marcus Smith and Billy is a playmaker and he li- likes to have a big voice on what's happening. And Andre Pollard is experienced enough to say, "This is my backline. I'm the fly half. Billy, you my you my deputy kind of thing." Bingo. And I think with I think with Marnie, it's more of a um uh um what you call it I like it's, it's, it's more of a, and, and a, a, and a hierarchy it's a, it's a conversation he, he and to, a hierarchy and yes. yeah it's 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 a collaborative space with the two of them it's not more it's not a dictatorship but it's, it's, it's well more. balanced though. i think that's the key mm. it's so well balanced mm. like manny gets to do his thing and do it well and then when Vili comes in manny just steps back and plays him and just lets it happen you know yeah yeah no i think that's fair okay on to the backs Marco van Staden, Steven Kitsov, Trevin Yakane. So interesting. I saw Trevin Yakane was scrumming on both sides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, we're busy yeah, working you, on options. You can do it. 
No, he can do it. It's, it that, that's the thing. We is, know uh, he can do it, but he hasn't done it in the World Cup yet. He's been a tight head yeah. the whole time. Now he comes on, plays a bit of loose head, plays a bit of tight head. There you go. We'll take some of that. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad because that's the whole reason one of his biggest attributes was he's a great scrummager, but that he can play both sides. Um, but yeah, Marco van Staden, I think obviously Kitsov and Yakane speak for themselves. They were pretty solid. Marco, your thoughts on him at hooker? I'm trying to think now. Did he? He played a little bit um, as a loose forward, did he not? No, he once, once he sort of he? came out. Once once he came on, he he was uh, he took over at hooker, throwing, uh, scrummaging, everything. So it, it was and quite interesting the, the makeup of the yeah. It was quite interesting that because okay. um, Dwayne Dwayne was still on the pitch, and um, for one of the scrums, I think it was attacking, it was a defensive scrum inside um, inside the Tongan twenty two. I think it was uh, for that try for for Philly, but. Um, they had Quacho packing down at number eight, and they kept Dwayne and uh, Dion on the side. And then the very next scrum, it was Dwayne at eight, and they had Dion and Quacho on the side. So, yeah, wow. it, it's 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 quite interesting to see some of those things. They obviously think that uh, Dwayne getting off of the side of the scrum in like those co- close quarters, making that hit and getting Quacho over the boys is a bit, uh, which sort of makes sense. I'm a bit of yeah. You know, when you've got those close contact tackles, it's weight does help you a lot. And Dwayne's got quite a bit more weight on on Quaker. So, so yeah, it's it, it's nice to see that they. It's not just uh, uh, Quaker's coming on. He packs down at eight automatically, or he's a open side flanker or whatever. It's mm-hmm. yeah. There's there, there's nothing being left to to yeah chance or just feels mm. kind of thing. It's it's all planned. So yeah, I. I I, I thought Quaker was amazing off of the bench. I think he was quite wait, comfortably wait, wait. Our, wait, our best one. Wait, <laughs> Let's talk about Quaker, sure. Come on. <laughs> Franku, Jaden, and Manny. They were okay. Manny was great. Mm. He kicked all his kicks, let the back line go. They did fine. I Now that that's out of the way. Let's talk about the two possibly players of, <laughs> of the day. Dion Fury was one. The other two by far were the other two um, uh, uh, substitutes. But let's talk about Smith. That man is a weapon. Mm. And, and what I loved is that video of uh, Nick Mallet went uh, a bit crazy on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but yes. that's uh, explaining how the spring. That was Talks and uh, Chops, wasn't he? Y- yes, I think so. I think so. And uh, yeah. he talks about yeah. the battles that the Springbok players get in and that Smith like... Um, far out performs any other player in the world because they use their own metrics to judge the rest of the players and he's getting in more battles than than any other player then he just runs out i i I actually watched it like just about an hour before the game i went back and watched it again and then quokka comes on and he like proves the point straight away (laughs) grabs a try he was incredible 29 minutes and it felt like he was on the whole game yeah Exactly. Exactly. You got into He's enough just, game, enough battles for twenty nineers. Yeah. And I, and I was sort of thinking to myself, like I remember in 2018, 2017, I was like, no, Quaker would never play for the Springboks. He's just, he's just too small. Like the Oaks don't pick small forwards like that. Like we've. 
gone past the Heinrich Brousseau kind of era. And then Quacha, when he came into the squad, I was still like, I mean, and eyeing about him. And now you can't pick a 23 without the man in it. <laughs> 100%. And, and that's, that's the thing. Like, he, he's on the bench more often than not. And you want to start him? Cool. We'll start him at eight. And you're like, well, hang on a second. Lions tour opening game started at eight, didn't work. And they're like, cool, we'll show you again. Started at eight again. And then you're like, well, starting to happen now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's, it's quite something. It's quite something. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, the Swiss Army Knife, he, he plays every single Springbok game that, is, that, that matters, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. obviously covering the back line, and we haven't really seen him properly play in the backs, but pretty sure he'll do a job. Just quickly, Jared, quick one. If he has to play in the backs, where do you play him? You'll obviously have to shift people around, but where do you play him if you play him in the backs? Well, my initial thinking was, uh, was, at, was at 11 um, or like on the wing um, because he has the sort of pace to be able to make those decisions and he's quite a smart defender as well. The I thought, fine, uh, the wing, wing will suit him. And then he went and did that uh, fucking full-on uh, crash ball 12 offload um, straight through the, the brailing arms and I was like, okay, cool. Quacker's a 12. <laughs> but my, my, my thinking is, is that Quacker Smith is just a rugby player at the moment. Like the fact that he, he wasn't one of the options at, at 12 is just like, uh, at hooker is just like mind blowing. Like we'll probably find they out didn't even mention that Quacker, Quacker has been uh, training at, tw- at, at hooker for the last three years or something like that. And we just didn't <laughs> want the other teams to analyze him or something stupid like that. But exactly. he is. He's incredible, man. He's incredible. Yeah. He could do the job. I'd play him at 12. He, yeah, you probably yeah, find I, I'd play him at 12 in the backs. Yeah. They, they, they'll, put, they'll, mm. they'll have a line out once and uh, like we all need to throw the ball to like halfway or something, like a set move straight to halfway. Midfield, like Damien Dallander comes charging and catches it. And then we'll throw Quokka out to, to go and make that throw. Yeah, yeah. And finally... Someone again who's just proving all his doubts is wrong, Jesse Krill. Um, mm. He came on, what, after half an hour when my pimpy went off and then they moved Moody to the wing. Mm. And mm. then, um, yeah, I, I thought Krill, flip, he was busy. He was busy, he was in, yeah. he was tackling, he was rucking, he was trying to steal, he was making passes. I know a lot of people think he doesn't pass, but very, very involved. Um, and he went and took a force try also, as well. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> nice little pick and drive work. The man is built like a. He's built like Superman. Clark Kent, right there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. So Creel, also one of those players. Right now, he's in the Springbok twenty-three. So let's say Lukanyam comes into mm. the mix. He he starts at thirteen for me in in the quarterfinals without a shadow of a doubt. But other than that, if, if Lukanyam comes in and and he's fine and he's on form, Creel has to be in the twenty-three. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, if we do go with Lucano, um, which like we, it's probably going to be confirmed by the time the podcast comes out, but uh, if we do go with Lucano, um, I, th- I think we're definitely going to be going that path three split and we'll be having Pollard and Lucano on the bench and depending on how they go, well, we could even have Lebok on the bench starting with Pollard and keeping it tight um, to start off with and then running it a bit ragged in the in, in the second half. So yeah, um 
it, it really brings out nice, nice options for us. And um, yeah, I think Creole was phenomenal. Um, it, one of my uh, posts got misinterpreted against Ireland. Um, I said I'd hate to think um, what the scoreline would be if Jesse Creole was not playing. And some people thought I meant like the if Lucano was there, we'd be winning by like 20 or something stupid. But <laughs> my fact was that without Jesse, Jesse Creel was a monster in defense against Ireland and against Tonga as well. There was just, there was that one kick through that uh, Tonga that had, Creel just started oh, going like exactly where the ball, before he even kicked it. He just went exactly where the ball was and he picked it up. So it's not just that he's rapid and that he's both like a, yeah, like a, like a supermodel, but he's also, he's smart. He really is a smart rugby He's got player. good rugby IQ. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. Yeah. Okay, I think wrapping up South Africa Tonga, Jared, will you please give us a little breakdown on your top performers from Tonga and what they did? Because I thought that was probably their best game of the World Cup by far. Um, we we're expecting them to to work mm. a little bit better, mm. and they finally got it up against us. But do you want to wrap up this uh, little Springbok review on on Tonga and their top performers? Yeah, I think uh, you you can't not look at Big Ben. Um, he was hard to miss on the screen, and uh, he's do you know like uh, a lot of I think in 2019 he let himself down by like getting a bit more like putting on too much weight and uh, like wasn't performing to the level that he's capable of and people that watch the top 14 just know how much of a threat he can be and i think the captaincy this year uh, taking the captaincy into the world cup he's just gone from strength to strength we saw his big ball carrying i mean he even swatted off sia khaleesi um that doesn't happen often um so yeah i, th- I thought he was great well deserving of his try um, and he 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 was stayed in the fights with the scrums, and what he played sixty minutes again. So the big man's racking up the big numbers. Um, staying in the pack with them, Sioni Avili. Um, he he's the he played for the Crusaders. He also uh, put in I think twenty two, twenty three tackles without missing or missed one. And yeah, that's the second. He now holds the two top tackling stats for Tongan players in rugby world cups after making 20 odd against Ireland as well. So, so yeah, I thought he was great. Um, and then I think their best player was uh, Peter Aki and we sort of touched on him earlier, but yeah, if, if, if Tonga, we, Tonga got all of these uh, ex all blacks and wallabies and there was a lot of chatter about Israel Folau and he didn't make the world cup, but that he was going to be like the, a standout for them and uh, Charles Piertal was going to cook for them but the man doing all the work is Biraki like he's just phenomenal whether he's distributing or running over you or just stifling your attacks with great defensive reads he was just fantastic and I think a lot of um, Tonga's performance uh, was weighted on how well he played yeah I'm a big fan, so I don't mm. even need to add mm. any more to it. I'll just repeat. Um, he's a machine. I really enjoyed the before kickoff, Colby and, and Aki having a, a little a little embrace, old, old teammates. Um, mm. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. Anything else you want to add on Tonga? 
Yeah, well, they get George Mawala back uh, to come and partner Peter Aki in, in the game next week. So Aki Mawala, 12-13. Uh, yes, please. Yeah, so poor Romania. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for that, Jared. Um, Jared's had, unfortunately, had to leave. But we are joined by Tala. And in between Jared leaving and Tala joining, we have some amazing news. And most of you are aware of it already. But Lukanya has been confirmed as Makazola Mapimpi's replacement. So that's, that's quite something. I know Jared and I touched on it a little, a little earlier, but it was unconfirmed. And Tala, welcome back, my man. It's great to have you. Um, what an awesome, awesome intro. You, you get to chat about Lukanya. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, um, how's it to everyone, first of all? And yeah, I, I said on the group that I'm coming off, off the bench for this pod and like I'm in the bomb squad. Um, and yeah, I get to make an impact now with talking about Lukanya Um, Yeah, just uh, the podcast in Kwaka Smith, as they call me. Um, yeah, obviously, we know how good Lukanya Am is. We know how, yeah, I mean, before this World Cup, I think we all thought that it would be very difficult for the Springboks to go far without Lukanya Am and Andre Pollard at the time. Um, but we know that when the squad was announced. He just re, or I don't know if it was a re-injury, but he had an injury from the um, Argentina game, and it looked pretty uncertain as to obviously if he'd be match fit. And we know that he had about a few months before the World Cup where he was looking, wasn't looking at his um, best. So him being in the squad and adding to the squad, um, I yeah, I've I've sort of resolved myself into not trying to figure out what the Springbok coaches will try to do with their squads anymore. It's better for my mental health. Um, but him being in the squad just makes so many. It just opens up so many interesting possibilities with the twenty three. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, Sean. So look to paraphrase Eddie Jones. I don't think Lukanya Am is here for the croissants. Um, <laughs> so you'd assume he'd be. Um, fit enough or considered fit enough and sharp enough to play in two weeks' time in a quarterfinal should the Springboks um, officially qualify. And it's, yeah, it's going to be an interesting toss-up between continuity with regards to, obviously, Lebok and Jesse Creel on the side of continuity over the last few weeks versus the established and, I guess, the, the, the players that are on another level that maybe don't, that aren't really maybe test match fit at the moment with Andre Pollard and Lukanya Am to, to a great extent and how that is balanced out, how the selection is done. And Sean, from, uh, from your side, how do you, do you, can you fit in all four? How do you do it? Does this mean that the Springboks go for, I think it's called a 5-3 split of five forwards and three backs. I think it's oh, a we're foreign concept the world here in South Africa. <laughs> We'll set the world alight. You know, I haven't, I haven't thought about exactly how to put Lukanya Am back in. I'm torn and I'm loving it. I'm, I'm loving how where everyone was so, like myself included, apprehensive and worried about Manny Lubbock. Then Pollard was injured and we knew that this was going to go forward. We were looking at other options at 10. And now we're all sitting here and fighting for Manny to start because, like, he's really proven himself. And the same with Jesse Creel. Like, it's really hard to say that Andre Pollard needs to start ahead of Manny Lebok, and it's really hard to say Lukanya starts ahead of Jesse Creel. Both 
Pollard and um have proven their worth. They're elite and incredible athletes. And um it all settles down to, as you say, like how does training go? How sharp is he? What's happening? The one thing I have Lucanio, I'm definitely struggled to come back into the mix after his first knee injury and then he re-injured it. And it looked a little bit shaky. So I'm just worried about that. I don't feel that the dynamic is going to change too much. I think the sort of cohesion will take a little bit of time getting used to, but we don't have that time anymore. I don't feel that the players will, um, will be shitty about it, whatever happens. I just don't, I don't see Lucanio I'm starting right now. Um, and yes, that bizarre setup of a 5-3 split is going to become a reality. Um, because the way I see it, Sandra Pollard and Manny Lebok are both going to be in the match day 23. And I don't see us recalling Lucanio um, and not playing him. So do we recall him and then try and have as less change as possible for the quarterfinal and play him moving forward or what? Like we don't really have the luxury of, of playing guys in back into form, um, you know? So it's all going to settle on, on the next two weeks of training. Um, Lukanyam will be there next Monday at training, which means he will, um, under the Springbok sort of, terms qualify to play that Saturday or Sunday, whichever, whenever the game is. So that's out of the mix. I know the Springbok players are off uh, on Monday and Tuesday and they go they rejoin again on Wednesday and then it's a week and a half until the quarterfinal. So yeah, I, I can't really answer it. I, I will say <laughs> I do feel that Jesse Creel starts. Um, I, 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 I believe that needs to happen. It's. I think it's interesting also to think about these two. That these two are very. That the Pollard and Lukanya um, cases are distinct as well. With Pollard, you know, he was playing. Obviously, in, we've talked about this. He's playing in great form pretty much since he came into the Leicester team at the start of the year. And I think you've said, Sharky, that you probably haven't seen Pollard play as good as he did. And he gets injured in May for the Premiership semi-finals. He doesn't play any rugby. Um, up until you know he gets a few a few minutes in the Prem Cup a few weeks ago, and now he played against Tonga. With Lukanyo Am, it's a bit different because he was playing more or less every week um, in the last few months of, of the URC and the Champions Cup season, but he was playing with an injury that he got, I think, around January. So I think he was playing basically from like about March onwards, more or less every week, and he just didn't look like you know you know, at his best level. He played in most of the rugby um, championship games as well, not quite getting at that 10 out of 10 level that we know him to be. And he was then, when he re-injured it in Argentina, was then ruled out of the World Cup squad. So it's, I guess that you can apply some nuance to, to, to the two situations and say, perhaps actually, if you take it out of the last few months, Pollard has a bit more, you know, match fitness, form, whatever you want to call it, whereas Lukanyo Am maybe has a little bit less. So maybe one way of doing this is, like you said, Sharky, um, you have Creel starting, maybe I'm coming off the bench as an impact player. Pollard, and then on the it can be the flip side of the coin with, with the fly-off situation with Pollard starting and 
Manila Bog coming off the bench. You know, there's a lot of tactical flexibility that can be applied here. You'd imagine that Um and Lebok are the more attacking, open, open the game up type of players that you maybe would need in the last 20, 30 minutes of a test match, especially a, a big knockout game if the box fall behind. And but well, especially Um, but Lebok has obviously the game playing experience for the Stormers, where he can, you know, take the team home if the Springboks are defending a lead. I think that I think Lebok and 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 um make more sense on the bench than Pollard and Creel do. But yeah, like there's so many things. And this goes back to my point that the Springboks are really doing this World Cup in a much different way than I think any side that's won the World Cup has ever done it. Even even the 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 Springbok teams like of 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 the last like few years, like when they win a World Cup, it's because they're consistent. They know they're 23. They playing a relatively I don't want to say basic, but they're playing a game plan that is with the foundation of good set piece, good in the collisions, good goal kicking and good field kicking. Whereas this one is the Springbok team is sort of trying to still open up their game plan and developing it almost <laughs> as they are flying this plane. They're building the plane as they're flying it. You know, there's I don't think anyone really knows what is going to happen with the Mash Day 23, which was probably something that a few months ago we all thought we knew the match day 23 um it's just so interesting now, we and like the approach... name a match day 33 right now <laughs> like, <laughs> we probably oh man it's crazy but yeah it's wild sorry <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say sean that like it's it's such a unpredictable unpredictable place to be in like i'm sure if we try to pick a 23 now that there's arguments over may or oh, let's say five six positions like that's a i mean new zealand france and ireland are definitely not at that place they know who their match day 23 is pretty much maybe one or two selection questions aside we are definitely the the most on one hand you can say uncertain on the other hand you can say flexible and adaptable so <laughs> Like Razi and Ninobo are going to be very much, I guess, like they did in 2019, but this will definitely be, be a tearing up of the book way of, yeah. you know, winning a World Cup if, if it happens. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And we really, I know I've been saying it a lot, but we've got like so many different game plans. I see, I see Rassi, Mike dropped someone hard this week on, on Twitter where they were talking about like, just giving him shit about the 7-1 and about the 4s and this and that. And Rossi showed a beautiful spreadsheet about how many tries the backline have scored. Um, so, yeah, we, we are playing expansive rugby. Um, Lukanya Am plays, uh, plays tight and expansive rugby, so he's a great asset there. But also, I mean, having, having Lubbock, um, um, probably Kirtley Aronser, Cheson Colby, and Vili Larue or Damien Willemser at 15, with only Damien Delendi as really like a straightener, <laughs> it, would be, it would be a little bit challenging. Like it would be a lot of like sideways and very expansive running. But again, like Jacques Ninaba knows, Mzwandele stick backs coach, he knows, he understands how to create space and how to, how to use that space. So, We'll see what happens, but 
we are still definitely the hardest team to probably analyze and try and understand what game plan is coming our coming your way. Even with Andre Pollard, you would think that would be a lot more kicking, but maybe that's not the case. You know, we're well aware that all of this expansive rugby and everything's come with Manny Libok at 10 and Damien Willemse at 10 and Andre Pollard wasn't really part of it because he was injured. Now he's going to have to come get back in the groove. Are we going to dovetail with our, t- uh, our 10s or are we going to double bluff and have Andre spread the ball? You never know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of flexibility here. Sean, maybe very quickly, I mean, we can probably spend an hour podcasting this, but what do you think are the selection battles or debates that the Springboks are having um, for the next few weeks? I would go, um, obviously, we've talked about 10 and 13 and what they do there. Um, You can probably talk about, um, you know, do they pick, uh, like if they pick six or five forwards, like, who falls out. So I think there's probably a battle between Klein, Dwayne Vermeulen, um, and Marco van Staden for maybe one or two places as well. Um, yeah, what other potential battles are there for selection? Well, with Mapimpi being injured, and I really do believe that he would be very close to being first choice starting on 11, that we've got to decide of who our wingers are going to be. It's probably going to be Colby and Kirtley answer, but is um, Cannon Moody putting his hand up to to be included there? And the other mm. one is playing at 15. Is it Damien Willemser or Billy LaRue? And I mentioned it earlier, but that all hinges on who's playing at 10. Um, I think Billy plays better with Manny at 10. Hopefully Damien Willemser plays better with, with Andre at 10. I don't know. Not the other way around. I mean, I would think that Willemser and Pollard are almost too similar, that you need... And I know your theory about like my Vili doesn't play as well with Pollard if like the combination maybe Pollard's not in the best form and all that sort of stuff. But Willems and Pollard almost seem like a carbon copy of each other in some ways. Like they both big strong carriers, they can go a bit direct. Maybe not the best sort of like playmakers for others in the world. Whereas Vili and Leboc are really good playmakers themselves. Mm. Well, it's it's hard to judge on this weekend's game because the game was always going to open up in the second half, even though that Tonga really hung in there well. Um, but Vili definitely played his better rugby in the second half of the game than he did in the first half of the game. So mm-hmm. is that because Pollard and Manny, or is that because of just the game opening up? We don't know. But my theory is still, still holding a bit of water. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Sean. Well, I think that is a good breakdown of the Springbok game and obviously the news of Lucanio Am coming into the squad and the implications for that. Yeah, we'll obviously know a lot more. Well, I mean, this might be for naught if we'll talk about it later, if a pretty improbable situation happens that knocks out the Springboks from um, the quarterfinals. So hopefully this work isn't for naught. But yeah, we will definitely delve into this a lot deeper um, in the week of the quarterfinals. Um, let's go into the other matches that happened in week four of the Rugby World Cup. Um, yeah, uh, an interesting, a week that I think promised to be quite, you know, with a few tight matches, kind of turned out in a few blowouts. But yeah, let's try to go through all of the matches and yeah, see what we can pick out of the bones there. So 
We start with Wednesday night's match from last week, which was Uruguay beating Namibia 36 points to 26. And look, Namibia were leading at halftime in this game, and it looked like for a little bit that Namibia could get their first win in a Rugby World Cup ever. But yeah, led by obviously one of the stars of in that sort of tier two um, of tier two rugby, Santiago Arata, Uruguay came back to get the win. Sean, yeah, what was your um, opinions on the game? Yeah, it was like. It was great. Namibia were in the mix, but like the their trouble with cards hurt them. Um, and there was a stage where they were, where they were in and fighting, and then after a while, Uruguay just took over. And truth be told, like what's it? I can't even remember how many days. What's it? Four games in how many days? Eighteen for Namibia, and they've been I booted think nineteen. Out yeah, nineteen. They literally, I I heard. I saw a horror story that they were asked to leave their hotel at 10 o'clock the next morning and couldn't spend the, their bye week mm. in inverted commas in France. Like, yeah. unless they paid for it, which is shitty to say the least. But ridiculous. Yeah, onto the game, it was hard for them. And um, I think Uruguay probably believed, believed themselves a little bit more. I think they've had a better run up to it. They're probably a little bit more confident, whereas Namibia were always chasing their first win and, and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, it was a tough one for our neighbors, but um, unfortunately, that's how it works out. Gershwin Maton also scored a little bit of a, a cracker. Mm. No, he's, he's a very talented player, though. Um, Uruguay, I mean, we'll talk through the permutations and stuff for the last week, but Uruguay are still in with a chance of making the World Cup. I mean, a very improbable one, <laughs> but essentially, they can beat the All Blacks, get a bonus point, and uh, I think has to be a draw or no, France has to win against Italy or something along those lines. Then they're through. I mean, it's improbable. And I mean, the All Blacks showed on Friday how good they are. But <laughs> Italy, I mean, Uruguay won't be too unhappy with the situation. And they do have even a, a, a little bit more of a decent chance of um, getting that third place um, automatic qualification place if results go their way um, with the two games as well. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. So I think Uruguay's busy having a really good World Cup, and hopefully they can finish off well against um, New Zealand. So let's go to the Thursday game, which was Japan versus Samoa. This was effectively a knockout game between the two countries. So the winner here basically can survives another week and in, in quarterfinal contention. A bit of a scrappy game. Paul D sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, but it was essentially that Japan beat Samoa by being able to take their chances, and Samoa looking oof, not 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 great when the ball gets to their backline. Essentially, um, they had a red card to Ben Lamb also in the second half to contend with. Um, there's a bit of contention about Shotohori's um, yellow card and whether that should have been converted to red. So Samoa effectively, well, they are out um, of the World Cup unless, yeah, I think there's a, the only way they can get in. No, I think they, they're out regardless. Like even if there's a draw between Argentina and Japan, they are essentially out. And yeah, Japan can now go into basically a shootout between themselves and Argentina. So Sean, is Japan growing into this tournament or was it just the fact that they were facing a Samoa team that maybe was missing the likes of 
Suteni and Sopoaga and um, Chris Voy that maybe could have pushed them through to a good result. They definitely missed UJ Suteni um, in the midfield without a shadow of a doubt. Um, the Japan pushed really hard. I mean, they got to what's a 25 8 lead. I can't remember exactly. 25 mm-hmm. 8, somewhere around there. Pretty decent lead. Um, and then Samoa put in a great fight back. And I think if the game was like five, 10 minutes longer, Samoa very likely could have, could have snuck a win there. But they're definitely missing the players. And Japan, I don't think they're going to be. I don't think they're going to cause too many more hassles moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I can't get behind Japan sort of matching the 2019 heroics of making the quarterfinal. It just seems like there's just a few things um, lacking there. I mean, Samoa, if they actually wanted, they could have taken them apart up front. They were really getting a lot of mileage from their rolling mall. Some They got some scrum penalties. They seem to be winning collisions. It just, yo, if Samoa, if you could almost put Tonga's backline with Samoa's forwards, you'd have a great team. But yeah, they yeah. just weren't able to capitalize on some of the opportunities that were that they were given. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll talk about the Argentina-Japan matchup a bit later. So we go to Friday and probably the surprise of the weekend. Not that New Zealand won against Italy. Obviously, um, New Zealand were the favorites, but there was at least a few whispers about Italy maybe causing a surprise, but <laughs> this turned ugly very quickly with New Zealand um, scoring 14 tries to win 96 points to 17 against Italy. Sean, it's yeah, wild. there's many ways wild. of there's many yeah many ways of breaking this down. I think let's start with the All Black side of it. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think they did something that we don't know. We know that if you give the All Black space, you miss tackles. Um, and you let them get to a head of steam, they can put up 40, 50 on you easily. And in this case, they put 47 or 49 in the first half. That, yeah, 49, 49, three at halftime. The Kiwis, like everyone's like, oh, this is, this is too much or whatever. And the Kiwis have a, like a mantra, um, you know, you get what you deserve. Like we'll put as many points on until you actually <laughs> front up. Not in a bad way, you know, but... Yeah, it was it was incredible. I I was watching that and I I just couldn't believe it. Um, probably the best Italian side, um, most competitive Italian side in years. Um, and they've very recently come off some great wins. They've got amazing players and they've got guys that can really turn things turn things around. So yeah, for for me, I feel. They put um, they put Allen at at fifteen, and um, they put Kabisi at ten. Moved Capuazzo away from fifteen. I thought that was probably a defensive decision because I I I, I don't know why they haven't gone with Allen at ten and Kabisi at twelve, and Capuazzo at fifteen. So that's how they got to go in the final game for me. Um, but yeah, I it was a absolute blowout and it's the Kiwis welcome back some of their of their big names and the guys all got in got a good chance had a good good run a bit of confidence with the Kiwis um they're very they wouldn't say they're flying under the radar but they are going to be a handful in the quarterfinals 
Yeah, oh, it 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 makes a big difference that um, Jordy Barrett and Shannon Frizzell are back in the team. Um, Tara Tara Max was coming off the bench with Sam Kane. Um, I think basically the only person that's missing from their first choice twenty three is um, Ethan DeGroote, who is currently suspended until the quarterfinal. Like that team looked a lot better, and they played a ton better as well. Like Jordy Barrett, just from that. Um, cross kick that he delivered to Jordan for the first try and that just the way he was carrying and brilliant. I'm, what I'm sorry to interrupt you. That was incredible. I, I thought, so I, I just got live. I just got a glimpse of Jordan shifting wide, waving his hands. And I, I thought I was like, something's coming and it came straight away. The pullback and the way that, that Barrett executed that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Like that was, that was perfect. There was space, he called for it, and the execution was top draw. Yeah, look, the All Blacks look a ton. I mean, you know, they're playing two of them out of position, but this three or triple playmaker um, system that they're running, they look a ton better with it. Um, they look, mm. it, it just opens up their, their, their dangerous runners. It opens up space for Jordan and Talea and uh, Rico Ioani. So it seems to be working for them. Um, as far as possible. Listen, Rico on Fraud Watch, eh? I know they're 196. <laughs> I mean, you've been putting on Fraud Watch for about three years, to be fair. Well, I couldn't this year because he played well. And I was saying <laughs> he was up for it, but he, he got cooked a couple times against Italy, which is bizarre. It's the same as, as, as Moody against the All Blacks. Like, it's hard when you say, listen, you didn't have a good game when you won by like a million. But if Rico, if, if he plays like that in the quarterfinal, they'll lose because they will absolutely get ripped apart. But I apologize. I digress. That triple playmaker threat is really good. And the thing, the thing that is the biggest about a lot of teams, but the, it hits the hardest with the All Blacks and it hits the hardest in this game when they win 96-17 is when they have a little bit of confidence and they're a little bit in their groove, everything clicks. Like everyone just knows their stuff. And that's the thing is you've got to rattle them off that. They're like Ireland. If you can get Ireland off their game and they start doubting their game is when you get to actually do something with them. And you, with Ireland, you've got to keep that pressure on for much longer. With the All Blacks, it's less. The problem with the All Blacks is when they get in their groove, to shake them off that is really hard. And the groove will, will flow uh, not just necessarily in-game, it'll flow to the next game as well. But the players that they welcomed back was was huge for them. And then it all clicked, so it all worked out. And Italy were on the end of a flip and hiding second to nine. I mean, didn't um, didn't they say they weren't even going to review the game? Like that could possibly be a game that just <laughs> they just been. Everyone's got to have a, a, a mulligan. Every year, every season, you've got to have a mulligan. You have that one game where you're like, nothing worked, we got ripped to shit. We'll just park that in the bus. Everyone has, has Sunday, Monday off, and then we'll start as if it's a brand new week and nothing happened the week before. <laughs> no, I don't envy um, Kieran Crowley doing exactly that this week. Like you, <laughs> There's not much you can learn from, from a game like that. They lose also um, uh, Fischetti and Nicotera um, to injury for the big clash against France, which is essentially a, quarter, or a, a last 16 game, a knockout game for them. Um, Sean, yeah, it's, I think, look, we've seen New Zealand thrash pretty much every other tier one team in the world. 
maybe not as much as 96-17, but I'm sure, I mean, to Springbok fans, if I just mentioned Albany, we, <laughs> you know, the shudders down our spines are still <laughs> Everyone's there. been embarrassed. Everyone. The Wallabies but more than all of us, though. <laughs> fair enough. They play them more, to be fair to them as well. But yeah, <laughs> it's a numbers they, they game. Have, <laughs> they have an annual 50 or 40 point loss that's handed to them. I think what was a bit sad about Italy's game was just the heads dropping. I think sure. as soon as that try, when Savia did the big line break, I think it was like the first or second Aaron Smith try. Um, that's when I was just like, oh, these guys have actually just, their heads are gone. Like yeah. you could see the belief in what they're trying to do and, you know, the systems that they're running and, you know, the results that they've had against, um, you know, you know, they've beaten Wales, they've been Australia, they've run France and Ireland quite close in the last few years that, you know, that all went away and dissipated very quickly. Like I think Cooks was to, Cooks tweeted this um, during the game that the one thing that the Italian coaches probably said throughout the week was we need to have a good start. And yeah. that obviously didn't happen. And when that went out the window and in the way that New Zealand can with, you know, New Zealand are the team that can still probably score <laughs> 21 points on you as quick as possible. I think as soon as that first quarter went and it was well, about 28-3 by 23 minutes, then Italy was just like, no, there's not really much point, which is very disappointing because I think they're a lot better than that. And there's enough quality in the likes of, you know, Lamaro and uh, Negri and um, Gabisi and those sort of players that they could have played a lot better. You know, they tried for a little bit in the second half, but yeah, I think that's, I mean, I don't want to talk about Italy being thrown off Six Nations, whatever, that's stupid talk, but I think what's disappointing for them and what they must make sure doesn't happen again if they're in a situation like this is that their heads can't drop when, you know, another team is clicking into gear and has and then hitting everything. Like you need to find ways to get the game back to you, to slow it down, to, you know, do whatever you can to just rest some momentum back from, you know, a team that's just going like a steam train. Yeah. It it highlights how vulnerable teams are. Um, mm. like top, top sides don't really, they're not really that vulnerable in that very seldom is there a blowout, but, and I'm not by any means saying Italy are tier two, but those tier two sides are vulnerable. Like they're in the mix. They're in the mix for like 20 minutes in the game. And then there's a breach in their defense and they concede a try. And it's not a fitness thing. Then you see that they, their heads drop and they, and they buckle. And then fitness things come, fitness issues come later, match fitness comes later. And that's the thing, like sides are vulnerable to headspace. It's about believing in your game plan and what's going on. If you've got a game plan, it could be as, could be the a watertight and be an amazing game plan. But if you don't, if you can't win a game with it, it you don't trust it as much. So when something happens, you're like, oh shit, here it comes again. So I think Italy probably still have like PTSD from, from way back when, when they were just getting rinsed week in and week out and they became vulnerable and it, it kind of spread through the team like wildfire, which is weird because they've got youngsters, they've got like powerful leaders that you would expect them to pull it all together, but perhaps they just needed an old head in there, you know, someone to say, listen, just cool, just, just calm your farm. Like we're up against a good all black side. Let's just like really focus on the basics now which you expect would have come 
but yeah, just all happened. And once that doubt crept in, it was, was game over. It kind of, like I said, it spread like wildfire and that was that. Yeah. Even looking, I'm just looking at the two sides now. Like there's a lot of, at least maybe let's not say it, uh, Italians would take a, a take over from the New Zealand players, but there's at least a healthy debate in a lot of the positions. Like Fischetti is probably one of the near the top of like um, loose heads. Like he could battle Tunga Fasi. Like Negri has been playing really well in the Northern Hemisphere. Like he could battle Frizzal. Lamaro has been great. You know, he can battle Papali. Tadone is not obviously Sevilla's level, but he's been playing really good. I mean, Garbisi against Maunga. Um, Kapoz against Jordan aren't, you know, they're not terrible. Brex would have an argument against Rico Ioani. Like, it's such a good quality side. Like, it, this mm. really shouldn't have happened. But mm. yeah, Agreed. I think it's very much bad day meets very good day. And this is what can happen in a game. And yeah, as we know, the All Blacks can be a team that will easily, you know, run in some tries. Does it change your, is your opinion on maybe the World Cup or the All Blacks changed by this result? Not by this result specifically. It's more about we. Do you remember the Bulls from back in the day when when the Bulls, Saracens, Leinster? Excuse the URC side of Leinster, but like Leinster, Saracens, Bulls. When a Crusaders, another one. It doesn't matter how bad they are. If you played them in a knockout game, you knew you were in trouble because <laughs> it was in their DNA. It was like they know how to play knockout rugby. And that's the, that's the situation that's happening now. They, you didn't ever want to play them in the knockouts, but they were always going to be in the knockouts. We were pretty certain they were going to make the knockouts. Making the knockouts and being on a little bit of a high and saying, cool, everything's actually starting to happen now. Like, I don't once feel that they ever thought they were never going to win the World Cup. Like, they would have said, we are going to go win the World Cup. This is the plan. This is what we're going to do. Yes, the results didn't go their way. They were blown away at Twickenham didn't look like that phased them too much. And then, you know, then France came. But then after France, it was all about building for the quarterfinals. And they took a massive step in the right direction. So I didn't want to face them. I don't want anyone facing them in a knockout because of who they are and how they go and approach knockouts. This game just makes that that spidey sensey alarm go even louder, you know? (laughs) No, I hear you definitely. Look, yeah. Shocking results. I'm sure Italy will be a lot better against France. They've had some decent, like, ran them close in a few games in, this, oh, in, the, in the Six Nations in the last few years. New Zealand and Uruguay, I think, still will be a good game. Hopefully it won't be this sort of thrashing. And, yeah, New Zealand will be, yeah, hoping they can just do the job on Thursday so that they can relax and watch the chaos of what happens on Saturday night. Okay, so next game is then we go to Saturday slate of games. Argentina played Chile. They this is the first Southern South American, sorry, South oh, American clash that history, happened in the Rugby World Cup. Atmosphere was great. Yes. Um, the game actually started relatively well, um, but Argentina ran away with it near the end. But yeah, Chile, they now finished at the World Cup. They also had to check out at 10 a.m., unfortunately. Um, but they can very much hold themselves, hold their heads up high to say, look, they've given themselves a very good account and they were definitely not the worst team, I think. Um, and there's definitely a lot of growth that can happen because a lot of those players are, I think, in their 20s, most of them. Yeah. 
Amazing, amazing result for Argentina. But the the big man, Nico Sanchez, um, on his hundredth game, yeah. he put it together. An old boy uh, dominated. It was great. Um, yeah, they they cooked at. It it was it was good for Argentina. They also needed it. Like this is probably the first game that they really put their hand up in the World Cup, and it's it's weird. You expect them to do it against Chile, but we would have expected it a little bit earlier than that as well. So they also kind of hit a little bit of form and a little bit of confidence has, has come in. But the one thing about Chile, I know they're done, but the the player for me, there were two of them, um, the Lucy, and I can't remember his name, but he's one. But the, the stand-up player for me, who I personally believe can probably move up a level, go and play maybe um, in the top 14, the Premiership or, or the URC, is Inaki Ayaza, the fullback. I was super impressed mm. with him. Um, he's, he's a big, hard, solid runner. He's always looking for options. I was, I was very, very impressed with him. I think he might be playing in France at the moment, but I've, I, I, could be, I could be wrong. I think he might be in the D2. But yeah, he, he impressed yeah. me. But yeah, I actually completely forgot that that was their last game. I'm a bit bummed now. Yeah, no more. <clears throat> we have no more Chile to look forward to. And then now no more... Um, Namibia, we'll talk about the other team that is maybe starting to slowly pack their bags. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of players that can hold their heads up high. I think it's Martin Sig- Sigrin that you are talking about, the loose forward for Chile. Yes. I think he's their captain. Yeah, he's yes. playing for their, um, the, I think it's called uh, Salk- They It's like basically their Jaguares for Chilean rugby, basically the whole yes. The, the whole Chilean um, national team plays for them and they've been really actually giving it to the Jaguars the last few years. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to grow in there. And I think Squish made this point. If there's one area that World Rugby should invest in, like they've invested in to um, the Pacific Island nations in the last few years, it's South America. Like, I hope what comes from this is maybe a South American championship that happens every year. Um, between or even American championship, like with Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, like those sort of countries coming together, maybe with USA and Canada, because they seem to be very keen about the game. They are, you know, I think in the Scotland game, when they played Scotland a, a year or two ago, they got 20 odd thousand into the stadium. So I think this is a good market for um, rugby to grow into. And yeah, we need a South American Rugby World Cup. Hopefully, in the next the next one will come to them as well. Like yeah, the just, vibes that they give, they give the best vibes. Absolutely. Just Ayatza, um, I just had a little look. See now, he's playing in the Pro D two. I don't know if I'm I'm going to butcher this name, but he's playing for Soyo Anglomé. I don't know how to pronounce that properly, but he scored mm. ten tries in forty two appearances. So he actually joined them Not when bad. they were in the league below the D two, and he helped them. Mm. Uh, he was with them when they got promoted. So. He's, uh, he is playing in France, which is great. Yeah. And like you said, shout out to um, Nico Sanchez, second Argentinian to get 100 caps yes. after Gaston Creevy. Um, and yeah, scored a very good try. Did not know he still had that amount of pace in him. <laughs> the old boy. Yeah, like it's the older guys that, 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 that surprised you. I mean, Johnny Sexton also had a, a bit of a runaway try early in the tournament. So like, yeah, these older guys having a nice good turn of pace in them is great. Um, let's get to the next game, probably the game of the weekend, which was Fiji versus Georgia. This was uh, this was like a ding dong battle, basically. I think that's the best way to describe it. And 
yeah, Fiji got a big scare from Georgia. We, I think Georgia played to the potential that at least some saw in them um, before the, the tournament. They were leading 9-0, could have been 16 even. And Fiji, I think, did well to settle themselves down and to come back in this game where maybe Fijian teams of old would have maybe just lost themselves um, in the second half. Sean, yeah, just an epic game. I think deserved man of the match in Levani Botia, who was just an absolute menace in every aspect of the game. Nice to level with a great finish as well. Like, yeah, I think this was, I mean, Paul C just keeps delivering um, absolute bangers because it <laughs> seems like all five teams are within, you know, a few points, a few tries from each other. Yeah. What a game. Um, Botia is an absolute weapon. What I will say, it's, Tabut Sadze, their right wing for Georgia, he's he's left a lot of tries out there um, in in this World Cup, <laughs> and uh, he, yeah, Georgia was so close to winning it at the end, an absolute massive massive clash. I didn't I didn't expect it. I expected Fiji to to get their bonus points, but to not have it so close. Um, I thought I suppose if. You know, if you put a, a another another try on that, it's twenty four twelve. Um, you know, that's probably what what I would expect the game to be twenty four twelve, twenty nine twelve, somewhere around there, where Fiji, where Georgia put up a fight and then Fiji um, pulled away at the end. But what an epic clash! I was I was stunned. I was just watching it, going, can can Fiji, like, are Fiji going to lose and are Australia going to get a lifeline? That's all I kept thinking. I was like, this is wild. And Georgia would have given themselves a, a chance of qualifying. You know, if they yes. beat Wales, I think they effectively qualify regardless of what happens in the other games. So this was almost a very wild result. It really could have thrown the cats amongst the pigeons. Um, yo, can we talk about that last play? Um, yes. Georgia basically starts an attack from their try line. They get a good break. And then um, Aprasidze, the reserve scrum half, Goes up, goes down the the left wing, and then I'm not sure about this decision by him. He kicks the ball ahead. Um, it is cleaned up though um, by the um, Drasese, the the Fijian fullback. Yo, I don't know, Sean. I think he could have actually still recycled the ball. He was going out. 100%. I think he should have passed it. He should have passed inside maybe a few seconds before. He and just he had, continued the he play. He had two options on his inside, but I, I can't remember who it was. One of the Fijian defenders got in that passing lane. Brilliant, mm. brilliant work that stopped the pass because that if that pass got off, it would have been um, it would have been try time. The kick was you wouldn't really put anyone tops in a foot race with any of the Fijian back three, <laughs> so Fair. like it, it was it was close, but I, I I didn't think the kick was the right option. Um, if if he was gonna kick, because I, I watched it again, I was like, if he was gonna kick, it would have. Maybe just a little forty-five degree grubber might have been the option, and then you've kind of got a gamble on 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 collecting it or or Fiji not getting it and kicking it out. But yeah, perhaps um, slowing down a touch and then restarting just to keep the ball alive. I mean, that was a what thirty forty meter line break. He had support there, so they would have secured the ball. Then they just needed to trust the process. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like they they they. <sighs> a bit of composure actually just to recycle the ball would have actually given them a chance. Yeah, look, nice Levels try just going <laughs> this game backwards. Nice Levels try was brilliant. Like that sure. finish, I think 
and also it came at a great time when it didn't look like Fiji was getting through the Georgian defense. Like they got a, maybe a little bit of a break and made some meters. And then the next phase, the Georgian defense would just shut them down again. Like that came more or less out of nowhere and then opened up the game. Um, Botia's um, creating the try for um, Vinaya Bossi coming off his um, shoulder. Botia drawing what the whole population of Georgia onto him. <laughs> Goodness. Uh-huh. Levani Botia, I mean, obviously we know. Ugh, I think what makes him even just more of a world-class player is that every time Carl Dixon penalized him for um, in the ruck, he looked at him like, do you know who I am? Like, <laughs> this is my ball. <laughs> I, got I was just like, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, that reminded me of like Prime McCall, Pocock, just knowing basically that anytime they get into a ruck, they're coming out of the ball, basically. Like, you can just see how good he is. And I mean, he has maybe the stealing ability of those two. Plus, you know, he's basically a... a, a an international level midfielder. It's a ridiculous skill set to have. Yeah. He's a brilliant player and La Rochelle need to hold on to him with all, with all their hands if they can keep Oof. him. Yeah. I think the worry for Fiji though is obviously they, they line up just fell apart and I, I don't know if it was because they were chasing the bonus point but they really didn't do any kicking in the first half and maybe that's probably the big difference in the second half. They started to play a bit better um, Frank Lomani came on and I think the game changed with him and him just controlling things a bit better. Um, yeah, it looked like when, especially when Rajaja got that yellow card early in the second half, that maybe there'd be a, a bit of a surprise. But yeah, Georgia, they can hold their heads up high, especially with regards to their defense. Um, if they just, yeah, I think Georgia about, you know, the finishing of two or three chances in the last two games away from them being two wins out of three and looking to qualify if they beat Wales or something like that. Like, it's really been that close of margins between them being maybe second place and them likely finishing fourth. So that's maybe a bit of a disappointment. But yeah, this game definitely delivered. Um, going to the next game, yeah, a bit of a thrashing here for Scotland. Um, or Scotland thrashed Romania, <laughs> I should say, 84 points to nil. Whoopsie. Um, yeah, Scotland gets two, uh, 12 tries there. Darcy Graham is now, I think, three or four tries away from the Scottish um, um, try-scoring record that Stuart Hogg holds. That's and because crazy, he played yeah. this game, it's such a low number, isn't it? I actually don't know what the number is, but I, I heard that 27. he was close to... How much? 27. 27. Like, I can't believe yeah. he's on that. Uh, he's close to that already. And I can't believe that he's still got probably another four or five years in him. He's going to cruise that. Mm, easily. Yeah, I mean, the, basically the competition now is between Darcy and Duan as to who reaches it first. And then I think Darcy is a little bit like a year or two younger than Duan. So Duan will have to try to get a bit of a lead if he wants to keep it away from Darcy. Darcy's mm. 28, I see. Duan, I think, is 29 this year. So yeah, that'll be a, a, a competition for the ages. Yeah, not too much to learn here for, for Scotland. Scotland did the job that they were supposed to do. They helped their bonus well, they helped by getting the bonus point and boosting their points difference as well. We'll talk about it maybe at the end about what they need to do in order to qualify. Um, yeah, and this was effectively done with a second team as well. Um, they, which is, I think, apparently, well, 
according to Opta um, Johnny, this was, I think, third for most defenders beaten in a game. Scotland beat 70, I just want to get the number, 72 defenders in a game. I've what? never heard that in my life. <laughs> Some teams don't The record's 87 or something like that. No. That is ridiculous. Australia versus Namibia. That is ridiculous. I tell you, a couple of players that stood out for me um, in that game, I thought Hamish Watson was, was out there to, <laughs> to try and claim his throne back. Um, he mm. had a very, very good game. It's weird to think that uh, Watson's not in, in, in the first team like starting setup really anymore unless there's an injury. And the other one was Ben Healy. Um, you know, a lot has been said about him, obviously, being Irish and all, but uh, he's, uh, he's got World Cup points, got a World Cup try. Had a good kicking display, and I thought, I thought he, I thought he played pretty well. Took it to the line nicely, some good offloads. So, yeah, pretty, pretty decent showing. Yeah, let's go to the next game. So these are the Sunday games. Australia poo, um, pooing on the party here, winning against Portugal, thirty-four points to fourteen. I mean, yeah, Portugal actually gave themselves a good account, gave a good account of themselves in this game. Um, they could have capitalized a bit more on the period of dominance they had in the second half, but Australia just were able to capitalize on some um, weaker moments that Portugal have. Um, they start with Portugal because Australia are still at least technically in this competition. Um, they have the game against Fiji left, but yeah, they've, I think, been the darlings of the, of the group stage. They're probably everyone's new favorite team. Yes. I mean, imagine, imagine facing Australia in a World Cup and you lose by just 20 points. It's, uh, it's quite something. You can say what you want about Australia <laughs> and their form and everything that's going on, but Portugal have put their hand up. And, and you're right. They, like everyone, I mean, there were tweets on the weekend going, like, we need to watch more Portuguese rugby, which is great. It's great for them. It's great for them uh, for the future. Um, and everything. Um, sure. What a Mike Tadger, their hooker. Love him. Love him. Loves the <laughs> scrum. He's flipping brilliant. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a really good, uh, it was a, it was a good game. Um, and you know, they can, they lost, but they can walk off with their heads held high. I thought Coro Betty, I know it's controversial, but he would put in a couple of massive defensive efforts that, that really stopped Portugal getting back in the mix, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I think Australia's key players, I think, stood up here. Angus Bell, he's just continued to carry and to basically be the anchor of the scrum, um, regardless of what happens. Rob Valentini was man of the match, and yeah, he just had an all-court performance. I think kind of faded away a little bit um, in the last few weeks, but yeah, he was back to, to his best here. Um, I think this is the best Rory Arnold game that we've gotten for the Wallabies. Yeah, I, there's something there for the Wallabies, but yeah, like there's still so long to go for them. They, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but yeah, they're still in with a chance of the World Cup. They are in that awkward position of they don't have a game this weekend. They effectively just going to chill and um, At least they were kicked look. out of their hotel. That is true. So because they're technically not out of the competition, they didn't have to check out at 10. So, yeah, we'll see what the – and we'll – if but the Australians then – Fiji have to get one log point. So if they score four tries yes. and lose the game, they still go through. So 
Yep. Australia must be sightseeing the hell out of this week. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Look, if Australia somehow wins this Rugby World Cup and there's a documentary made, there'll definitely be a column of players that were packing up this week and players that still believed, still had their clothes out, were booking tickets to the quarterfinals and all that sort of stuff. So we'll see how that how that works out. But yeah, like Sean, like what you said, I think there's St. Etienne, which is not too far from Paris. I'd take the week off. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy things. I'd go around and, 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 and see the lovely sights there. And then finally, I mean, we talked about this game, which is South Africa Tonga and South Africa's victory. So now let's go through pool by pool. The games kind of divide, divvy up in that way as well and as to what needs to happen. So for pool A, World Rugby, I don't know if you saw the tweet, Sean, where World Rugby stuffed it up and they said that if there's Horrible. a tie between second and third, it's done on points difference, but it's actually done on head-to-head. So just for clarity's sake, if there's well, like a multi-team tie... Sorry, go on, Sean. So, yeah, I was going to explain what you're going to explain, so you, you go ahead. Sure, okay. If there's a tie between two teams, then we first start on head-to-head, so who won their game between the two teams, then we go on points difference, then it's try difference, and then there's other... Categories that we hopefully don't need to know. Um, if it's a three-way tie, we start with the team with the biggest points difference. Then, whichever two teams are left after that, they'll be divided up in terms of head-to-head, which is important yes. for, um, for South Africa's permutations. Now, in the New Zealand, um, France, Italy, and Uruguay group, they all, all four of those teams are playing this weekend, and all four have at least a, a bit of a chance um, to, to make it. Uruguay's permutations are basically that they need to win against New Zealand so that they would get the head-to-head. And then they need to win, they need to make sure that, or they need to basically pray that Italy gets no bonus points and that they lose by a bit of a margin to help the points difference. But they funny enough, their points difference against um, against uh, Italy's is, is quite small. So they don't need to do too much for that. But yeah, so they Uruguay need no, to win sorry. with a bonus point and hope New Zealand don't get any points. Yeah, but they so, also need to win by a lot because yes. they need to make sure their points difference, well, thanks to Italy just, you know, surrendering as New Zealand. <laughs> Uruguay has 159 points to make up on New Zealand. Crazy. Give or take. So yeah, 18-0 for Uruguay. They're back in business. New Zealand wow, just need <laughs> New Zealand just need a point and they're through. I think they effectively, if they get a point, then whatever happens in the France Italy game um, would be academic. And then no, Italy versus no. France. Is, New Zealand are on ten points, so if yes. they get a point, they only move to eleven. But Italy are on ten points and playing France, so Italy could win that game, and then New Zealand still not make it. Of course, okay. Sean, maybe I should shut up. You should do no, this. No, 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 no. But this is, this is the most amazing. This is what we're all going to talk about the whole week. So we might as well just get it all out of the way now. Okay. Let me start that again. Uruguay, they need to win and win big against New Zealand. Hope New Zealand and Italy get zero bonus points. And they have to basically win. If, if they win and New Zealand and Italy get no bonus points, it's set on points difference first and hope that they win you know, with enough of a margin that they become the top in points difference. Okay, next, Italy, they essentially just have to win against France. They win, they're in. So it's a very simple sum there. For New Zealand, 
like you said, they pretty much just have to win this game and they're through. Um, if they they can go through if they lose, but then it's dependent on it. Italy can't get more points than they do effectively. Mm. So mm. if New Zealand gets one bonus point, Italy must get one bonus point, and then they'll win on head to head. If New Zealand gets two bonus points, then Italy must get two bonus points, and then they win on head to head. Um, and then France, they just have to win basically um, because Italy is facing France, and Italy's only three points behind France thanks to Uruguay and them taking off a bonus point from France. France have to win. Um, or, sorry, France mustn't lose. If France doesn't lose, then they're through. So if even they get a draw, they'd be through um, to the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, so New Zealand plays Uruguay on Thursday, and then France plays Italy on Friday. So, I mean, yeah. In all likelihood, New Zealand wins on Thursday. France versus Italy. Sean, do you see a, a, no. a hope for Italy making No, not okay. happening. <laughs> Never. You were so quick. Listen, all I want to see is Alan at 10 and go BC at 12. That's all I want to see. Yeah, maybe they'll go back to that this weekend. I could see this being a bit of a scrappy one and then France comes through in the second half. The other big question is whether Antoine Dupont plays. He's now back in training. Um, he's been cleared to play and to, to um, take up physical activity. I think they're still trying to see how his face heals up and whether he needs to play with a mask or not. Um, he might even play with a scrum cap. I'm not sure how that helps his face. Um, yeah, but I think in all likelihood, he doesn't play this weekend and they give him another week to heal up for the quarterfinal. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, uh, I'm almost certain he won't play this weekend. Uh, I don't think they'd risk him. Yeah, it's just an unnecessary risk. Okay, so that is... Um, that is pool A. Then pool B, basically, there's many scenarios. There's only one scenario in which South Africa are knocked out, and that is if Scotland beats Ireland and gets a bonus point, so they get five points, Ireland gets one losing bonus point, and the points difference between Scotland and Ireland is at least 20, 20 points. And then 21. what that would mean is that Scott, 21, yes. That, that would mean that Scotland wins on points difference. They're top of the log. Then Ireland are second because they've beaten the box on a head-to-head. Yes. Now, yeah. Obviously, Jacques Ninob has already been asked <laughs> what he thinks about match fixing. And I don't even want to talk on... about this. I think it's the dumbest thing. I can't even <laughs> believe all the pundits are talking about it. They even mentioned it last week. Like, seriously, guys. This, <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate that people default back to that bullshit. Seriously. Yeah. I mean... Do yeah. they not know anything? Also, I mean, Ireland and Scotland don't really like each other, to be fair, as well. But, Tyler, think about this. Imagine trying to doctor a game where you give one team four tries, but then still have to beat them by X amount. No, Brie. <laughs> like, seriously, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's not football where you can manufacture a 1-0 lead by dominating someone. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And then Scotland, yeah. So basically, many things that have never happened or have really happened have to happen. Scotland have to get, or Ireland has to concede four tries for only the third time in the last four years. The two teams that have, con- that have scored four tries against Ireland are New Zealand and Japan, funny enough. Um, wow. Scotland I has saw to... a tweet today, and I must apologize because I don't remember who it was from. But he looked back to win last, Scotland scored four tries 
and let another team score four tries and one by 21 points or more. It's yes. happened twice, twice in the last 253 games. <laughs> yeah, so, oh. so there's the a chance. chance in the world. <laughs> there, <laughs> there is a, a chance. chance. Yeah, look, I mean, and also, apart from all of that, Scotland has not beaten Ireland in the last seven games. So, yeah, I think we've been talking about Ireland for the last few weeks. They're a machine at the moment. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if this is the game that knocks them out. Um, so, yeah, they're facing um, Ireland. And then in the other game in Paul B, Tonga is facing Romania on Sunday. So, yeah, this is pretty much of a basement battle. Tonga looks like they're kind of getting things together. There might have been maybe a small chance of Romania being able to give them a game. But, yeah, I think Tonga is probably going to get 50 points here. Yes. I'm with you. But okay. it's going to be all for naught. Yeah. They're not even going to be able to qualify for finish third year. Yeah. So, yeah, this is just for pride. Maybe Tonga will play a few different options in this game. Pool C. Okay, so here it's Wales. It's Fiji. Well, Wales is through. It's Fiji versus Australia in a shootout. And as we mentioned earlier, all Fiji needs is one point in order to qualify. So they just need to get a bonus point of some form against Portugal. Um, and then Australia are nervously waiting slash wine tasting slash touring France waiting to see the news. I reckon they're wine tasting and glancing at their phone. <laughs> glancing to see the score. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's, no. It's, there's going to be some Australians going to be pissed if Fiji, if Portugal somehow beats Fiji and doesn't get them, give them a bonus point. They'll be, I'm imagine sure there'll be Australia, some like, Imagine Australia squeezing to the quarterfinals and there's just like this mayday, mayday, trying to grab Oaks from all around <laughs> France and England, trying to get them back into the squad. <laughs> <laughs> I can genuinely see that happen. There's a great tweet that said, I wonder what Eddie Jones will do in order to try and help um, Portugal beat Fiji. But I'm not sure Fiji's going to allow Eddie Jones to come in and coach them. Did you? But they asked him at the press conference and he said, I'm going to send <laughs> Sama Karevi and Marika Korobeti into the Fiji camp with my credit card so I can buy him some kava and basically <laughs> just have a party. That's the only way we're going to, only way we're going to make it. Brilliant. Look, that's genuinely been Eddie's best idea in the last few months. So fair enough to him. <laughs> Controversial, but true. Okay, so Wales is playing Georgia as well. Wales already announced their team. Bit of a tune-up for them. Georgia, yeah, I think, I mean, Georgia seems like they're on an upward trajectory. So this, I think this could still be, I mean, it doesn't matter for anything, but I think Georgia could still surprise Wales and just bring back the ghosts of when Pivak passed here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I... I I do think that Georgia are going to be properly up for this. Um, and obviously Wales are going to have one eye on the quarterfinals. So it'll be the perfect opportunity. Um, and that, that game actually starts off our Saturday. So it's a mm. great way to start, start the weekend. Well, start yeah, Saturday, look, should I say. It would be typical pool C that the top team in the pool that is effectively almost sailed through this pool is then going to lose to the fourth place team in the pool. Just, just, just for laughs. Then, we go to Pool D finally. So one game is pretty much academic, which is England versus Samoa. Um, Samoa's there, if you look at the pool, I mean, at the log, they're basically out unless they get a bonus point win and Argentina-Japan draw and they do the points difference dance there. So they win, they beat England by a, a sizable score. Obviously pretty unlikely that that all happens. 
So yeah, they they but they I think Samoa will be in a similar position as Georgia and playing for pride and and could hopefully see or see an opportunity to pick off England with them having an eye on the quarterfinal. The big game is Argentina versus Japan. This is the most shootout of all the games because they're both on nine Winner points. Winner takes all, eh? Um, it's winner takes all, effectively. If it ends in a draw and both teams getting two bonus points, then it'll be Argentina that wins because they have a higher points difference. But yeah, Japan, they need to win to get in. Argentina just have to make sure they don't lose. Sean, I think you said earlier that you think Argentina are the more put-together team at the moment. Yeah. The, having said that, though, we've seen how Argentina are week in and week out, you know, <laughs> but they're kind of getting there. And I think Chek has got it in his armory to pull them together. Where I struggle with is Japan are, they're, they're not firing and then they're not going to be firing unless they really pull it out. It's, they're not the same team as they were in 2019. They, they've dropped off a little mm. bit, unfortunately. But having said that, it's basically a, a final. It's, it's winner takes all. You know, that changes everything. And we've all seen Argentina, when, when they start landing up in shit, how, how, they, how they react. And Japan are very disciplined, so it could be an interesting day. Okay, well, I think that is basically everything. Just quickly, just to do the order of the games. So Thursday night, we start with New Zealand facing uh, Uruguay at 9 o'clock, at least South African time. Friday in the evening, it's France versus Italy for that um, effective knockout game. Saturday has three games. Um, Wales versus Georgia in the afternoon. England versus Samoa in the early evening. The two qualified teams were the two teams that are effectively out. And then the big one, Ireland versus Scotland. And we'll see how Celtic relations are after that game. And then Sunday, oh, actually Sunday, uh, I wish they did the, the games the other way around, but Sunday starts with Japan versus Argentina in the afternoon, then Tonga versus Romania in the early evening, and then the final game is Fiji versus Portugal. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a great weekend of, of rugby. Sean, I'm sure we'll try to also do maybe a more in-depth preview um, podcast later this week when we see all the teams announced. Yeah, Sean, I mean, good, yeah, good weekend. Um, and yeah, now the calculators are coming out. So this is crazy. I love this part of the tournament. I love permutations. It, it just, I love breaking my brain to think of all the possibilities. So this is the nerds part of the tournament is right now and I'm enjoying it. 100%. But if you think about it, France and New Zealand could both, either one of those could not qualify. South Africa, mm. Ireland and Scotland could not qualify. I mean, it's wild. Australia could still qualify, you know, this is definitely calculators. And the best part about it is all this stuff happens from, when is it? Thursday? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then, and then everyone's going to be talking about everything on Sunday. Then we bang Monday, we bang into quarterfinal week. (laughs) Some teams would have been kicked out of their hotel already. Some people won't. Like... (laughs) Oh man, I love so it. So there, there is a very small, to emphasize, but a very small chance that all four rugby championship teams are out of the World Cup by Sunday. Wow. Yeah, it would, it would have to, yeah, a lot of very improbable things would have to happen. But yeah, there is the smallest chance that it's New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, and Argentina on the flight home, which, yeah, I think that would be 
an absolute shock. But yeah, I think it shows just how great this tournament has been that all four obviously have lost already in the World Cup. And yeah, I think it just shows that the it's yeah, it's definitely not just a two horse race or three horse race at the top of World Rugby anymore. No. As we expected, one of the best World Cups ever. Yeah. And all four could still make the quarterfinal and still make a semifinal. So who knows? But yeah, Sean, I think let's... Oh, very quickly, last thing. Do you see what happened to the Ranfurry Shield? Oh, bro, I am gutted. <laughs> I'm gutted. And, the sh- and that shit's gaining momentum, man. There's two people, they didn't say players, two people were taken to police a oh, connection snap. with a drunk driving issue into a fence. Oh, and no. Yeah, and the shield has been destroyed. Uh, NZRU have stepped in to get the shield and think it's wild, wild. Oh man, I'm so I'm heart sore. That is one of the one of the things that I follow so much of. Um, just for the Ranfurly Shield, the NPC, mm. and my word, that is absolutely ridiculous. They better fix yeah, that that's shit one, fast. That's one way of writing your name down in history. With the shield, but yeah, very quickly. But we had a situation where um, our res won the the Corsais League um, in Stellenbosch University one year. So our first win in a few years, and yeah, that night the the Corsais shield also got broken. So yeah, I'm, I'm well aware these things can happen. Did it fall on the kitchen floor too? I'm not gonna say what happened to the <laughs> to the shield. I don't think I'm, there we go. I don't think the I don't think the statute of limitations has has expired yet on that. Okay. Fair enough. Sean, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much for everyone for listening to Rugby Bits. Yeah, please follow us on our social media channels to see what's what's going on there. And yeah, we are posting a lot of Rugby World Cup content during the course of the week. So yeah, please just follow us there. Um, A reminder of our promotion that we're running with Classic Shirts South Africa. You can get 10% off if you use the Rugby Bits 10 um, promotion code to get your hands on some nice uh, merchandise, especially those um, South African rugby um, supporter um, replica shirts that you can get there. So good old old-fashioned um, jerseys. I've got mine. It's nice and comfy. Sean, I need to make, I need to make a trip to um, your part of the world to give you yours. Um, uh, yeah, or maybe you can, or maybe when you come to Cape Town, I can meet you up there. And then, yeah. I think that is basically everything for this week. A big weekend of, of for calculator people and for some rugby as well. We will see you um, hopefully later this week and then we'll definitely review week five of the Rugby World Cup soon. Cheers. Bye.